I couldn't turn to those people and say, hey, look, my business is failing. Can you help? Hello, you're listening to Life's a Bags podcast, a podcast created to inform, empower and educate all in the experiences of women of colour. I'm your host, Ro. Joining me on this week's episode is someone who has supported tons of women through their entrepreneurial journeys. She is someone who fully upholds the word of sisterhood and is a firm believer that female entrepreneurs can be successful without compromising their values, beliefs or their family and community roles. So much so that she created the UK's biggest award-winning business community for Muslim women, Sisters in Business. I'm joined by Jennifer Ogunyemi. Jennifer is the founder of Sisters in Business, a mentor, speaker, mother, wife and an author of a useful guide for Muslims on healthy hijab hair. In this episode, Jennifer and I discuss how she juggles her business with family life, why it's important for female entrepreneurs to have business networks and why she got into the self-publishing game. Jennifer has had her fair shares of ups and downs but has used her experiences as an opportunity for growth. She may have had several setbacks but always knows how to get right back up and start again. She provides a fantastic lesson on how to grow after failure. Her motivational energy is real and she is so down to earth. You don't want to miss Jennifer's tips on how to produce engaging content for your target market. Let's get into the episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Tell us about yourself. Who's Jennifer and what is Sisters in Business? So I am a 30-something-year-old mother of four um, mm-hmm. who is an author, um, a panel speaker, champion in um, religious diversity, um, motherhood, entrepreneurship. And Sisters in Business is a platform that I built three years ago um, to create a safe space for Muslim sisters to be able to network and talk about business, um, connecting, um, empowering, and inspiring the next generation of entrepreneurs. All sounds very, very exciting. So what gave you the idea for Sisters in Business? Is it something that you've always had as an idea? So um, prior to Sisters in Business starting, I wrote a note in my iPhone saying that I wanted to create an evening of inspiration. Um, I remember speaking to a friend about it and um, she was like, yeah, go for it. You know, it's fine. But nothing really came of it. Fast forward two years, I had started a beauty uh, subscription box company and Mm. that had completely crashed and failed. I lost all my money. Um, I was left with stock that was making my house look like a warehouse um, and all my savings had gone with that business. So it put me in a headspace where obviously I was really, really depressed and down about the situation. Mm. I was six months pregnant and I I was in the full-time job anyway, but just the thought of trying to recuperate the money that I had lost Mm -hmm. put me in a really, really, really bad headspace. And I just thought to myself, I can't be the only one in this position and I want to talk about it, but who do I talk about it to? So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's other women that, that have their businesses, but at that time, Muslim women were not very visible with their business. So it may look like a Muslim woman owns it, but it may not have been a Muslim woman that owned it. And I said, I need to create something where I can meet other Muslim women who mm-hmm. are in business. And that's where the Sisters in Business roller coaster started. 
So did um, kind of wanting to tackle representation of Muslim women come out of your own experiences as a Muslim woman? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess it encompasses it all. But the main the main thought process at the time was I just need to be able to know that there's other people like me out there who wants to be in the entrepreneurship space, but just don't Mm -hmm. know where to turn to. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that first experience you had, the beauty subscription box business. And how did you kind of pick yourself up when the business essentially failed? At the time of having of starting that business, I kind of saw that there wasn't anything like that that was already out there. Um, so I didn't have prior knowledge to anything. It was all just kind of doing everything on a whim. Now, when that failed, it just put me in a place where, first of all, I was networking with people that didn't look like me. So mm. yes, there were other black women in the room, but there mm-hmm. wasn't anyone that visibly looked like a woman of faith. Mm-hmm. Although I was networking with the right people I couldn't turn to those people and say hey look my business is failing can you help and I guess Mm -hmm. all I was doing at the time was reaching out but wanting to connect with others if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um but through that connection so when I first started this in business and you know people one thing that I think people need to understand is that fact I didn't start it aiming to empower anyone (laughs) I didn't start it with the mission to say okay I want to build this massive platform and you know I want it to turn into this I didn't have any of that I literally Mm -hmm. just wanted to meet other sisters like me who was in the business world um Mm. And even in the beginning, I had my doubts and I had, you know, a lot of times where I took everything down. I said, you know, I can't do this. And, you know, and not only that, I'm a black Muslim woman that is stepping Mm -hmm. into a field where predominantly Asian um, Muslims own in terms of events and, you know, stuff like that. So, again, it all played back to the fact that who am I going to meet? And even probably further than that, I don't really care who I was going to meet, but I just need to meet somebody that I can talk to my business about, like just somebody that I can say, hey, look, this failed. What am I doing wrong? Where can I go? What can I read? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, when I think back to it, actually, it makes me really sad because I was in such a sad place, a Mm -hmm. really, really sad place at the time, actually. And my finances were just it was all over the place. Mm. And I felt lost. Mm-hmm. I felt really, really lost, actually. So, what helped you in that moment? I guess what helped me in the moment was what can what helped me in that moment. Apart from the support of my husband, and apart from the fact that you know you kind of pick yourself up and keep going, mm. I knew I had to create something because I had my fourth child coming, mm. and I didn't want to go back into the NHS world because I was you know from NHS um, in GP management, and I didn't want to go back there after my baby, and I knew that I wasn't going to go back after that. So mm. I was kind of like, I need to, you know, pick up and do something so that by the time I'm on maternity leave, I've got something going. And that's how mm. I guess my, that's how I probably got out of it. But there wasn't anything in specific that I'd done that said, or I read that was really profound to me, or, you know, I saw a sign or something that was profound. There was nothing like that. It was <laughs> just, I need to do something because this baby's coming. Mm. So you mentioned just previously that you worked in the NHS. So yeah. how have those skills kind of transferred over to you in your business now, if they have? Oh boy. So NHS is really stressful. 
Mm-hmm. And working in GP management, you deal with a lot of complaints, you deal with a lot of stressful patients and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of my skills of me being so calm and me being so composed when dealing with, you know, sisters who feel like, like they're not getting anywhere or just having the mental clarity in a moment when someone is having like a breakdown about what's going on in their life. I think mm. that skill has played a big part into the platform now. And just having the ability to be able to read behind the person's words. So when I hear someone tell me, I don't think I can start a business, what I hear is that I fear for myself that if I become visible, this is going to happen. And, you know, I fear for myself that I haven't got the money to do this. So it it allows me to kind of see things behind the words that people are saying. And, um, Mm. you know, in a platform like this, we, you know, I hear it all the time. I don't have the money. I don't have this. I don't have that. But in reality... All I'm hearing is fear behind it. So those kind of skills has helped me a lot in terms of, you know, dealing with um, a different range of people. And then, you know, you've just got the normal qualities and skills of just being, you know, patient and being uplifting and, you know, being motivating and just giving more of yourself than what you ha- what you get back. All of that has come from NHS. So my my career in NHS has spans, spans over 12 years. So I've been in NHS mm-hmm. for a long time doing a different range of things. And um that has definitely helped on the platform. What was it like raising capital or saving to start your own business? So if you're talking about this platform, I started the platform with nothing. All I had was my words, my genuinity and the credibility that lended into the fact that I was someone that could be trusted. And Mm. I just approached the venues and I said, I haven't got no money, but I need a venue to partner with for me to do this. And we partnered with a really cool venue that was in East London at the time. And they gave us everything. They gave me the venue. They gave me the refreshments. They gave me everything to be able to start. And then we also had a good sponsorship as well. So, you know, I had people that didn't even know me, but read into the fact that I really wanted to make something of this. And they sponsored us with monetary value or they sponsored the um, refreshment table. And all of that actually allowed me to have my first event. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been able to do it because I didn't have the penny to do it. My um, my salary that was coming in at the time had to go back into paying the debt that had occurred from the business. My husband's money was covering everything else in the house that I usually would, you know, pick up and cover. So I didn't have a penny. I had absolutely nothing. So yeah, that's that's just the truth. Like people mm-hmm. seem to think that I had like bags and bags of money somewhere. I had nothing nowhere. <laughs> oh, wow. um, so no, it really sounds so inspiring to hear from someone that's actually truthful as well to kind of be like you know what I actually had nothing and I had to work and I had to grind and I had to make the right connections Mm. and like be willing to kind of put myself out there so no it's definitely positive and nice to hear from someone that's real thank you you know and you know what it's it's all part of the journey at the end of the day do you understand and Mm -hmm. it humbles it humbles myself it allows me to it allows me this is how I think about everything has humble beginnings Mm -hmm. without humble beginnings you will have no grounding and for me every time that the platform gets bigger and every time you know that I'm approached to do something like this I go back to that grounding moment where I remember that I had absolutely nothing to start with and that is the that that humble moment is what keeps me going a lot of the time. Mm. So what's the hardest part about being a founder of a buzzing community and what's the most 
fun part? So if we start with the fun part, the fun part is knowing that I'm connecting with so many sisters that I am, you know, I'm, I'm bringing back something that was once um, the, the pinnacle of our religion. The fact that the way that we connect and the way that we're supposed to hold and elevate each other. That's the fun part. I love that part. I can, if, if anyone heard me speak about the elevation of a Muslim woman, you know that that's my, that's my jam. Like I love speaking about <laughs> that. And the hardest part would be giving so much of myself. I'm only one person and I do everything on the platform that you see. So it's only up until recently where I was able to hire a VA to deal with the back end of stuff. But mm-hmm. it's a lot to be able to stand in front of a camera or to speak to people or to, you know, just make sure that you're continuously uplifting a community. That's the mm-hmm. hardest part. What advice would you give to anyone about starting a business or their own community? Um, I guess the first thing that I would advise you to do before, while starting your business is to build a community around you. A community is really important. A community, not of, not only of your audience, but a community of your own. That would be my advice. And secondly, knowing who you want to serve. I see a lot of businesses pop up and I see a lot of people, you know, going into something without really knowing who they want to serve or why they want to serve those people. So it's mm-hmm. really understanding, yes, you want to serve a group of women but within that group of women they there are so many variations of that group of women so it's about understanding why you're serving them who you're serving and the value that you're trying to impart onto them those would be Mm -hmm. my two main top tips that I see people fail on all the time Mm -hmm. so draw down your audience you can go down it can be really niche yeah don't be afraid to be really niche I think a lot Mm. of people are so scared to be like really niche and fear of you know of not making enough money but Mm. here's the thing like continue to serve them until they serve themselves and then Mm. you can open up and become wider if you want to Mm. those people businesses who are known to really niche down and you know really go literally go down 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 are those are the ones that actually making a lot of progress because you're creating a community of loyal customers of a Mm. loyal audience and we all know recurring income is much better than the one-off um customer that will come and buy something and you never see them again Okay, so prior to Sisters in Business, well, back in 2018, you published a book called A Muslimer's Guide to Healthy Hijab Hair. Mm -hmm. What was that process like? Oh, this process was really difficult because I'm not a writer or I thought I wasn't a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, So initially it wasn't supposed to be a book. It wasn't supposed to be for anyone to see. It was just something that I wanted to write for both of my girls in the event that anything happened to me that they Mm -hmm. wouldn't know how to take care of their hair. So I wrote it and my husband got a hold of it and he read it and he was like, you need to get this out in a book. And I was like, are you sure? Like, who's going to want to read something like this anyway? Do you know what I mean? And anyone that knows me knows that I'm, I've been doing hair for many, many, many years. Um, and I had a really good client base at the time as well. And I thought, okay, let me give it a try. So I wrote it up again and I edited it properly and I gave it to a few friends. I said, could you read through this? And all the feedback was really, really good. And mm. that's when I thought, okay, let's start putting this into the process. So the process itself wasn't difficult. And I think that's something yeah. that people should know that people who want to become authors, the process that it wasn't difficult, what was difficult was taking out the time to write the book and write Mm. it in a way that it wasn't just it was speaking to everyone rather than just speaking to a person um Mm. 
but it was an enjoyable process and I loved every minute of it. When I saw the cover of my book, I literally screamed in the car. When Aww. she emailed me the cover, I was like, no, like this is it. Like you've you've just incomp like you've hit the nail on the head. Like this is mm-hmm. this is this is my book, you know. And then when I got the first copy and you know, my child, my son literally broke down into his was like, Oh my gosh, mum, like you've got a Aww. book now. And I was like, Yeah, like for real. Like I can I I've got a book. So yeah, it was um it was a really good process and the outcome of it was amazing and coincidentally it actually launched on International Women's Day, which was again perfect. even more amazing. It was perfect, absolutely. Mm. Oh wow. So did you kind of have like initially the idea to do the book or was it just out of, you know, you felt like you needed it to get it out there for wider audiences? What kind of sparked you to go down that lane? Um I think it was my husband. Mm-hmm. He said you need to get it out and let people read mm-hmm. it and let people know that there's you know that you that you're good at what you're doing and you know what you're talking about but then also again it was also a thing of everlasting charity that I wanted like I wanted to leave I'm really big on leaving legacies and I wanted to leave a really strong legacy if people spoke about me what is it that they're going to speak about? What is mm. it? How are people going to benefit from me? My my thought processes, my, you know, my intellect, my knowledge, how are people going to benefit from that? And when I was when I was going through the motions of writing the book, which, you know, I believe my paper had many tears on it. It had many things. In it, and the <laughs> book is not even that deep, but it was just the fact that I'm sitting here writing something for other people is what really got to me. But mm. um, it was, it was more of, I need to leave a really good everlasting um legacy and this was mm-hmm. one of the ways I was going to fulfill that Ooh. so did you self-publish or did you work with a publisher on the book yes so I self-published um mm-hmm. and the reason for doing that is because I wanted to maintain co- complete control over um it being for the niche it was for mm-hmm. and without having to go through the validation of anyone else saying you need to put this in you need to take that out it was my work mm-hmm. and my words so it, I kept it at um, a self-publishing route which again mm-hmm. is really super simple so at the moment Amazon is the one where it, where it's placed and they're the ones that does the logistics of everything and the printing of everything um mm-hmm. And it's perfect for me because anyone can order and they'll ship it. I don't have to worry about all of that back end stuff. But self-publishing was definitely a way to go. And I think I will continue to self-publish anyway um, Mm. for any future books that I may have. I was about to say, what have you got in the pipeline? <laughs> I do have a few things in the pipeline. And it's, you know, again, it all goes back to, I became a re- I, I became a Muslim when I was 18. Okay, I had my first child at 18. And mm-hmm. I remember losing myself a lot during that process, during that journey. So I became a new mom, I became a new wife, and I became a new Muslim all at the same time. And mm-hmm. I lost myself in the process of those years. And there's a few things I want to tell myself mm-hmm. if I had the chance to go back. And that's what the upcoming book is about it's about you know going back and speaking to the former Jennifer and letting her know that you're just in preparation for the greatness that's to come Mm, lovely way to look at it isn't it really it really is so can you give us some advice on producing content and events how do you decide on what works and how do you know what your audience will be interested in oh gosh I think first of all if we talk about content Mm -hmm. content again it's it's a learning curve you need to understand what kind of content engages your your audience Mm. and even me now three years in and you know even I've got a really engaging community and all of that sometimes I can still get it wrong because the times when I get it wrong is when I'm thinking what is it that I want to see which is not necessarily always the way to go Mm. sometimes you need to understand and put yourself in the 
the in the customer's position and say, actually, if I if I was in her position, what would I want to see? So what I do is I then look at the kind of questions that come in through a piece of content that I've put out. It could be a piece of writing that I've done, or a post, or even some something that someone's heard me say, and they question mm. me on it, and I create content based off that because that becomes then user generated content. So mm. I'm actually using my audience to give me content. But this is me three years in. In the beginning, you really just need to, first of all, understand your brand and understand the, the voice that you're trying to, you're trying to share. And then you'll be able to, um, push out the kind of content that will be engaging because content is so variable. Everyone is doing so much and everyone can, it can look like everyone's doing the same thing. So it's just about knowing your customer's voice, I think is really important. If we're talking about events, babes, I have no blueprint. Okay. (laughs) I have no blueprint. I have had a host of events where it's sold out Mm. and I've had events where I didn't even sell half of what I usually sell and Mm. that's okay for me so it's again it's a learning curve it's understanding and knowing that okay what where does my audience lack in what are the kind of times and days that they can't do and you know who are the kind of speakers that I've got in that they've drawn that kind of audience in so again I'm always tweaking and I'm always looking at different things but there is no set way of doing anything I think the best way to learn as an entrepreneur is to grow as your business grows and adapt Mm -hmm. as your business adapts and that's the only way you're going to know what works and what doesn't work Mm -hmm. um as a mother Mm -hmm. how have you managed to balance motherhood with working on your own business i haven't (laughs) (laughs) i haven't listen there are days i'm looking cute there are days I'm looking a bit uh, you don't want to see me and you know I'm so real with that because I feel like this whole mummy blogger world first of all has everyone so looking like motherhood is the best thing on earth yes they've always like got it together haven't they right and no one ain't got it together like that let's be real okay this Mm. is motherhood it's a journey but the things that I have learned that works for me is knowing when I can't do something and knowing when I can do something knowing when I'm not here to make to make myself look perfect but also Mm -hmm. I need to honor the moments when I am not so perfect if you understand what I mean so Mm. for me that's the only balance that I have I don't have it all put together I will never say that I have it all put together but I know what I'm good at and what I'm good at is knowing when I can and when I can't that's the way that I balance motherhood so as a creator of a community what does a day in our life look like for you oh gosh <laughs> um 5am starts with emails and all of that and then mm-hmm. I get my kids up and we've got the school run then I come back and I've then I've got three hours to do housework and cooking mm-hmm. um fast forward until after school times and then we've got heavy schedules with football ballet classes gymnastics and swimming um <laughs> So, you know, and then when everyone's put to bed at 6pm, then the laptop comes out again and I'm working all over again up until about 10 o'clock and then I go to bed to get some rest. Mm -hmm. It's not that glamorous, to be fair. And half of the time Mm. I'm walking around with a hijab that's got a stain on it. Um, (laughs) Walking around with eating snacks that I probably shouldn't be eating, but I had no time to sit down and eat. Um, And lots of Costa, lots and lots of Costa. Oh, is that your addiction? (laughs) Chai lattes is the thing, girl, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do to relax? I love a good party. So me Mm -hmm. and my friends, you know, we do like to have a good party, a good turn up. Mm. Um, But besides that, just sitting down and binging on Netflix 
and just mm. imagine in that moment I'm just going to be a slob that's a relaxing no but moment that's the thing me. sometimes you just need that moment to yourself don't you right but the main thing I think that I absolutely love is my skincare and I do 12 steps every single evening mm-hmm. and for me that just brings back a moment of I'm doing something for myself mm. so that I can go to bed feeling like I've accomplished something for myself so mm. when I wake up the next day I wake up feeling a little bit more refreshed and a little bit more ready to start a whole nother day of um of being a mom and all of the other stuff but yeah there isn't many things you know that I can do because children are still quite young mm-hmm. but um I do what I can in the moments that I have. How has lockdown changed things for you? So in terms of the business, it has completely turned everything on its head because a lot of my income comes from the in real life events, which obviously we cannot do. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's completely changed the business. But it has also made me realise that my business also needs to be a lot more virtual than it is in real life anyway. Mm. But in terms of personally um, and my family dynamic, we're quite, we're homey, we're homey people anyway. So Mm. we're not really missing being out. But I think just having moments of solitude to myself is what I've realised that I need a lot more than I actually realised that I did, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. So yeah, personally, it's it's shown me that, Jennifer, you need some moments where you're just by yourself. Like, it's (laughs) all good, like, feeling like, you know, you've you've got your family around you. But just Mm. to have some clarity and just have that headspace for myself. After lockdown, there will be a few changes in my household, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I do honestly feel like it's been a moment of self-reflection for a lot of people. Absolutely. Like, a lot of people are using it as time to kind of think about what they want to do or think about like the ways that they've been kind of behaving or moving about certain things Mm. so interesting isn't it no it is and you know uh, again along with self-reflection so with self-reflection it brings about a moment of vulnerability for me because Mm. it it has allowed me to face you know certain aspects about my character or certain aspects of the way that I do things that actually I'm like yo like I need to check myself for a minute like really (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer you messing (laughs) yeah exactly like are you for real like you know so for me again being vulnerable is also a major part of my growth and allowing myself to be vulnerable because I've had a really rocky start in life I was kicked out of my house mm. when I was 16 I've been living oh, wow. by myself and you know I went for homeless I went for a homeless um phase at a time and I've just been mm. battered and just been pushed around and just been feeling like so you know you I kind of built up a wall and this wall that has come along with you know a lot of a lot of barriers a lot of self-protection and a lot of you know just feeling like I need to be strong all the time mm-hmm. so being in a moment of vulnerability allows me to actually check myself and be like no like you need to stop it I've got I'm mm-hmm. 30 I'm gonna be reaching my mid-30s I don't mm-hmm. want to get to menopause and be a bitter old woman so <laughs> let me start you know working on this on this moment right now so yeah it's, it is really important it's good anyway because you know growth is even if it's a little growth it's better than nothing mm. at all definitely I think as well with that narrative that you know black women are strong Mm -hmm. you know all of that type of stuff so lets us take a step back and have a breather for a bit so that's good what's been your proudest moment oh my proudest moment in terms of my business yeah is the award ceremony that we had Mm. in February tell me about that it was it was so stressful let me tell you that for now okay it was so stressful you would not (laughs) believe the kind of things that I've gone through but the evening itself was absolutely amazing um mm. it's the first that we've done and we know the probably the first um award ceremony that's honoring only muslim women mm. um so it was 
you know, a lot was riding on it, but it was such a beautiful evening of just celebrating and just elevating other women who are working so bloody hard in their businesses that we don't get recognized because we look visibly different or the way that we you know, the way the media has has put us, the, the kind of light that we're in, just mm-hmm. to be in that moment and just to clap for another woman, mm-hmm. it made my heart so full. I had such a full heart after. So yeah, it's something that we're going to continue every single year. Um, mm-hmm. And we just hope to grow and, you know, just continue to just to have this amazing space for us. So that has definitely been my proudest moment. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It sounds really rewarding as well. It was. Babe, listen, I could walk the next day, my feet were so swollen, right? (laughs) (laughs) My hijab had like all sorts of makeup all over it. (laughs) (laughs) But just waking up and seeing the messages that people had sent and just seeing all the the pictures that people had taken and just honouring women, just honouring these women. Honestly, I cried in the bath, like I was in the shower, you know, I just cried. I was just like... First of all, I am so grateful to be put in a position to even do this, number Mm. one. And number Mm. two, I am a black woman doing this. I am upsetting some people and making some moves. Mm -hmm. And those two alone is more than enough for me to say, I got this. It's good. Yeah. So, yeah, it it was it's, it's been a memorable moment and such a rewarding one at the same time. So what's the vision and what's the end goal? If I tell you (laughs) that the end goal is, I don't know. (laughs) And I say that all the time. Why? Because I'm growing with the brand. I'm growing with the platform. So what's next for you and Sisters in Business? So at the moment, um, in terms of the rest of the year, we're just virtual. It's going to be virtual and we're going to um, just host a whole range of events and seminars and all sorts of stuff. But also, we're also now going to be um, looking at a lot of more brand partnerships um, mm. and um, looking, you know, looking at that side of things. And, you know, just growing this awesome platform that I have created, mm-hmm. just keep growing it. And it gets me every time that I can say that we are the largest platform of Muslim businesswomen in the UK. Mm. And awards winning at the same time. Believe me, it blows me off my feet every single time that I can actually say that. Mm. So yeah, it's just continuing um, growing that and just being sincere and being genuine in making sure that we're always elevating and empowering our women. Where can the people find you? Carl, you guys can find me hanging out on Instagram. <laughs> always on Instagram. <laughs> um, Facebook. What's your handle? Oh, at sisters.in.business. Um, we're on Facebook at Sisters in Business. And I am only now getting to grips with LinkedIn, which is also either Jennifer Ogunyemi or Sisters in Business. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to always remember your customer's voice. And most importantly, although some businesses fail, it can be an experience that opens you up to future success. A big thank you to Jennifer for joining us on the podcast. She was able to stick around a little bit longer for us to play our Speak On It segment. As a reminder, Speak On It is a quickfire round where guests have 30 seconds per word to give their views on buzzwords that resonate well with their worlds. Let's roll on to how it went with Jennifer. Okay, so the first word is motherhood. Ooh. <laughs> um, um, motherhood to me means encompassing all my all my good points and all my bad points and making sure that these little humans wake up every single day breathing. Mm-hmm. There you go. Muslima? 
embracing the platform that Allah has given me as a Muslim woman to continue to be elevated in that platform and honouring myself um, as a Muslim community a group of I don't know my community is a group of women that continues to elevate I keep using that word elevate such a special word to me but that continues to elevate (laughs) inspire and motivate each other into greatness sisterhood oh sisterhood meaning to me that this is a family it's a family it's a family that we lean on to that we can cry to that we can laugh with that we can just be there for each other coaching allowing me to allow you to be resourceful in the way that you think in the way that you conduct your business and in the way that you see your life as a whole Women of colour in business. We're growing. We are getting stronger and we're becoming more visible every single day. Thank you so much for your time, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed every moment of it. That was great fun with Jennifer. Please do continue to let us know what you think by connecting with us on Instagram at Life's a Bags Podcast. We'll be releasing the next episode in a fortnight, so be sure to subscribe and follow us for regular updates. As always, if you have a few moments, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us become discoverable. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Collective London.